Let's turn to the book of James. And in chapter four, I'm going to share some things that may not sound like it goes along with what I've been teaching, but it really does. I've been teaching about grace and faith, how that grace is what God does. Faith is what we do. And the body of Christ is basically broken into two camps. Some people will emphasize everything that God does, and they will emphasize it to a degree that it really doesn't matter what you do. It's just God is sovereign. God is going to move independent of you. It has nothing to do with you. It doesn't matter what people do. And the extreme, the errors on that side lead to uh, wrong teaching about the sovereignty of God, that it doesn't matter what you do. It leads to ultimate reconciliation to um, all kinds of errors where people just become lazy and don't seek God and they don't believe God or do anything because after all, it's just up to God. God controls everything. But the errors on the other side are it leads to legalism and you get worn out to where it's all on your back. You have to do everything. You grab hold of God. You make God move. And that's wrong too. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, that you're saved by grace through faith, not grace or faith, but grace through faith, a combination of the two. And so I've spent all of this weekend talking about the combination of grace and faith. And we've talked about a lot of really important things. And this may not sound like this goes along with it at first, but really this is something that every passage of scripture in the Bible If you understand this, you can see this illustrated in the things that are said. So here in James chapter four, it says in verse one, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain because you fight and war yet you have not because you ask not. See here again, this is talking about people over on this side who it's all up to them. And so they're going to go out and if they don't do it, it won't get done. If I don't take care of myself, nobody else will. I've got to go out here. I've got to defend myself. If somebody treated me bad, I'm going to pay them back. It's all on your back. These are the legalists, the people that don't understand and don't trust God. And he's saying, but you know what? The reason you don't have isn't because you aren't motivated enough and you aren't selfish enough and you haven't been self-seeking and self-promoting enough. It's because you haven't asked. You aren't looking to God. You aren't trusting what he's already provided. And then in the next verse, it says, and you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lust. In other words, you aren't asking, trying to receive what God has already provided by grace. You don't want God's plans for your life. You want your own plans and you're going to do it your own way. And so you're out to establish your own kingdom and not submitted to God. Anyway, I could spend a lot more time on this, but this is exactly the same thing that I've been talking about all weekend. In verse four, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever there will be, therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. When he's talking about adulteresses and adulter, adulterers and adulteresses, he's not talking about the physical act. He's talking about people who are in love with the world. Over in 1 John chapter 2, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. You know, that's a hard saying to most Americans because we love the world. We love all that the world has to offer. We are really enjoying all of the perks 
We have people come from these third world countries. And, you know, uh, I remember before the Berlin Wall was broken down, the guy who used to take me behind the wall, he wouldn't bring people to the States unless they promised that they'd go back because they'd come from these third world countries. They'd get over here and just indulge every desire, every whim, every lust that you have. And they wouldn't want to go back to their country. And so all of the good people would come over here and get caught up in our materialism and stuff. And so he'd make them promise before he brought them over that you got to go back because people just, they get over here and they get to indulge in themselves. And you know what? It's easy to fall in love with this culture because it just allows you, you can get anything. You don't have to pay anything now. Just guarantee that you'll pay two or three times what it's worth over the next 20 years. (laughs) And you can have it right now. You can indulge every lust and every desire that you've got. And it is a very self-indulgent lifestyle. And the scripture says, don't love the world nor the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the father isn't in you. There's something bigger than just you getting all of your needs met and having every desire. And this is what he's talking about. You're adulterers and your adulteresses, not in the physical sense is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who are in love with the world. You're committing adultery. You're sacrificing what God's plans for your life are for the convenience and the lust and the, and all of the things that you can indulge here in this life. And he says in verse five, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy and he, but he giveth more grace. In other words, even though all of these things are true, this is not God mad at you. God is full of grace. And even though we are not the people that we should be, and we don't serve God the way that we should, did you know God still loves you and God wants to give you grace, unmerited, unearned, deserved favor. He's not giving you what he deserves. He gives you more grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Did you know the word proud right here is nearly always misunderstood. We talk about people who are pride, prideful as being arrogant, thinking they're better than everybody else. But did you know shyness is pride? Some of you, that's a, you just say that's not so. I'm not going to teach on this, but I've got a whole teaching on this entitled self-centeredness, the source of all grief that will make this point. And I can guarantee you, if you are a shy person, you are a very proud person. You are a very selfish, self-centered person. You're thinking only about yourself. What are people going to think of me? There are some of you that God has done awesome things in your life. You've been born again. You've had your marriage saved. You've been delivered of cocaine, drugs. You've been healed. You have awesome things that could help other people. And if I was to ask you right now to come up here and share your testimony, some of you would just freeze like a deer in headlights and you couldn't share. Even though there's people that could be healed by your testimony, you couldn't share. You know why? Because you're all thinking about yourself. What's everybody going to think about me? What if I get up there and don't know what to say? What if I stutter? What if I stumble and it's all about you and you can't get out and you call that shyness and timidness and what it is, it's self-centeredness. You're thinking so much about yourself. When I first started ministering, I was exactly like this. I was so shy. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. And uh, I got up and forced myself to minister and it was pitiful. Some of you think it's still pitiful, but it's less pitiful than it used to be. 
And anyway, I got up and I would minister and it was just pitiful. And I had a man come up to me one time and he says, you've got some good things to say. And he says, if you ever got more concerned about the people you're ministering to than you are about yourself and what they thought of you, you could be a blessing. Man, what a revelation that was. (laughs) After I dug that dagger out of my heart, (laughs) it set me free. And I realized that that's exactly what it was. And I just determined that, you know what? God used no donkey and it wasn't because it had been to elocution lessons and things like that. And, and you know what? God, if he could use a donkey, if he could use a dog, he could use me. And I just get up and I stumble over myself and stutter sometimes and say things wrong. If some of you came looking for me to make a mistake, I got something for you. Just stick around and you'll have something. And you know what? God uses me in spite of myself because I've really gotten to where I care more about you than I do what you think about me. And it set me free. So I say all of that to say that when it says God resisted the proud, we only think about the arrogant or something. But you know what this is talking about in this context? God resists people that it's all about you. Another way of defining pride is a self-sufficient person, a person who depends upon themselves, a person that doesn't understand that God by grace has a perfect plan for your life. And he's already provided everything that you'll ever need. And instead of you, it being up to you to get out there and kick the door open and make your way and make things happen. God resists people who are, it's, it's you. You believe that God owes you something. You've done everything just right. God resists that attitude. God resists this legalistic mindset that the church is in where they believe, God, I fasted and I prayed and I did this and now you've got to do that. God resists that. God will not submit to that. Did you know that adultery, homosexuality, lying, stealing, murder, won't stop God. God loves us independent of our performance. And some people thought, well, I know that, but you can't do those big things. The Bible says in James 2.10, if you're in the book of James, you can look it up. It says in James 2.10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. Those of you who think that you got to do everything right before God will move in your life, if you go 56 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone, from God's standpoint, you're as guilty as the adulterer, the murderer. You broke the law. Usually goes over about like that. That's what the Bible says. It says you're supposed to obey the laws of the land. And when you break the laws of the land, you It's like there's a huge glass in front of me. It doesn't matter if you shoot a bullet through the thing and make a small hole or if you drive a truck through the thing. If you break this huge pane of glass, the whole thing has to be replaced. God's law may have 10,000 different commands in it, but if you break one, you broke the law. And so God resists people who think that they have done so good that God owes them something. That's what this pride is talking about. He resists people that are into just faith or into works or into legalism and they aren't responding to what God has done. It's not a work of faith. It's not a work of love, but it's a work of the law. God resists that, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble here isn't talking about people that are meek and in the sense that you're beat down and you can't look at a person and you're so introverted that you can't do anything. That's not humble. 
Humble is just a person who knows who they are and what, how they relate to God and they just do it. You know, I was given an example about Van and Regina that they were pastoring the church and not taking a salary because they just wanted to do this. But that's not what the scripture says. And you know what humility for Van and Regina Smith was? To take a salary, to let their people bless them, to get into the flow of what the word says and quit being selfish and quit thinking about only about themselves. You're robbing from the people if you don't let people give. You know what? If God gave me a billion dollars and if I could live off of it, I'm not sure that a billion dollars in the interest would, uh, would do what I need to do. Amen. But if I had so much money that I never had to receive an offering, I'd still receive offerings because you know what? It's good for you. You get to sow into the kingdom and it comes back to you. And I would be absolutely selfish if I had so much money that I said, I don't want you to give. That'd be selfish. That's proud. That's self-sufficient. That's putting more, that's thinking more about myself and just avoid the criticism that comes with people criticizing ministers and stuff. That would be selfish. It's humility. Not to sit here and, and just always apologize and not think. It's just humility to do what God says, not to go above it, but also not to go below it. And so when he says God resists the proud, He's talking about God resists people who you take it upon yourself that it's up to you to produce prosperity. It's up to you to produce healing. It's up to you to produce everything. And you're asking God to bless your efforts. God resists that. But you know what? When a person humbles themselves and say, Father, I know that there's things that I need to do, but what do you, what's your plans for my life? What do you want me to do? And you get marching orders and then you just do what God told you to do. That's humility. Thank you for that one head nod. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, I've never heard this, obviously. (laughs) Says, wherefore he he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And then he says in verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know what this is talking about? Grace and faith. Submit yourself to what God has already done. Submit yourself to what was accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yield to that. Don't do your own thing and ask God to bless it. I I couldn't tell you how many times I've had people say, would you please come and pray with me that God will bless this? I'm doing this. Would you ask God's blessing on this? That's not the way I live my life. I don't think that that's the way that God wants us to live. You don't do your thing and ask God to bless it. But you run up a white flag and say, God, I'm through doing my own thing. I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want to marry somebody just because they look good because of whatever. I don't want to have a job just because this is what my parents did. And because this is the only job I can find. I don't want to live in a house just because this is what I want. What do you want for me? And you just run up a white flag. God, what do you want? And then when God tells you who to marry, what ministry you have, what job to have, you never have to ask God to bless it. Because if it's what God led you to do, it's already blessed. It's already got an anointing on it. I never, some of you are going to really take offense at this, but I never ask God to bless 
a meeting like this. I never pray for God to come and use me and, oh God, touch the people. I never ask God to do that. Some of you thought, well, I can't believe you don't do that. (laughs) It's because God loves you more than I love you. God told me to do this. This is what I believe the Lord has led me to do. And to the best of my ability, I'm following the directions of the Lord. And I know that God loves you. And if I'll just get up here and be responsive to him and say what God wants me to say, God confirms the word that he speaks with signs and wonders following. He touches people's life. He give me a promise that his word in my mouth is fire and the people would, and it shall devour them. Jeremiah 5, 14. And He's spoken so many, and I'm just doing what God told me to do. And every single time I'll see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people's lives change. We see people born again. We see people baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see miracles of healing. This week we've seen cancer heal. We've seen people come out of wheelchairs. I had a number of people healed tonight. We see miracles happen and I never ask God to bless it because I'm doing what God told me to do. And if God commands you to do something, he would be unjust to command you to do it in your own strength. Anything God leads you to do, there is already a blessing on it. There's already an anointing. He told Peter, he said, come. And that one word come allowed people to Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water. One word from God has enough anointing in it that you can defy all of the natural laws. If you do what God tells you to do, you don't have to spend your life asking God to bless it. If you're constantly asking God to bless what you're doing, maybe you ought to reconsider whether you're doing what God told you to do. God's not going to bless your self-effort. God's not going to bless your own way of doing things. God has a plan for your life. Find out what it is and do it. And you'll never have to beg God for a blessing again. The blessings of God will come upon you and overtake you. You just can't outrun the blessing of God once you start finding out what God's given you. See, he resists the proud. He resists the people who you're going to do your thing. You want to be a rock star. You want to be on American Idol. You want everybody to fall at your feet and fawn over you about how awesome you are. That may not be what God called you to do. And so you're asking God to bless it and trying to twist his arm and getting God to do things for you. And it's not working out and you get frustrated. It's a lot easier just to say, God, what do you want me to do? I don't care if you can sing well. I don't care what your gifts are. God will usually call you to do something different than what you have natural talents and abilities for. Like I said, I was an absolute introvert. Couldn't look at a person in the face. And now I speak to millions and millions and millions of people. God's, I'm doing things that are absolutely beyond myself. God will call you to do something different than what you think your strengths are. And you just need to run up the white flag and say, God, I'm not just asking you and giving you a choice, A, B, or C. You give him D, none of the above. God, what do you want me to do? Anything. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. There's some of you who say, well, I'll go anywhere in the States, but I'm not going overseas. You know what? That's not the way you deal with God. You just make a total surrender. God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. What do you want? And then when God speaks to you, you just do it. See, you submit yourself to God. You don't get God to bless you. Man, I wished I could remember. Now, Bob Yandian said this last week. Do you remember, Larry? You were with me. But he was talking about that most, anyways, about people use God. 
They think that God was created for us. I think that's the way he said it. That God was created for us to give you all of your needs. But the truth is we were created for his pleasure. And you need to find out what his pleasure for you is, what his purpose for you is, and then submit to it and find out what God wants you to do. And then you'll have a peace and a satisfaction, a joy in your life that you could never have any other way. You have to submit yourself to God. That's grace. What has God called you to do? What's God's will for your life? You know, if this is a typical group, I'm really trying to get to something else, but this is an important point along the way. If this is a typical group, 80% of the people in here do not know for sure that you're doing what God called you to do. You're doing what has just happened. It's just happened and you kind of trust that fate has led you and that you just hope things are working out. But you can't say that you know what God has called you to do. You're just going through life like a pinball. You just launch that thing and it's just you bump into this and bump into that. Boom, 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 boom. And you're just over here and this is the way your life is going. And you feel like you're in the back seat. You have no control. And this is just the way your life has gone. And when somebody starts talking to you about taking control, making a commitment, making a decision, and I'll do something, you're fearful about, man, I'm afraid that maybe I couldn't do this. And yet you've let circumstances just rule your life. You need to submit yourself to God and recognize God. I could, I could preach on other stuff here for an hour about Jeremiah said, before you were formed in your mother's belly, before you came forth out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. In, Gen, in uh, Galatians chapter one, verse 15, I believe it is, or maybe it's two fifteen. It says that God who separated me under the gospel from my mother's womb Paul was separated. Isaiah said he was created for a purpose. And this isn't just for a few people. This is every single one of you is designed by God, built for a specific purpose. You were born at this time, whether you're a male or a female is not an accident. You were created. God has a purpose for your life. What color you are, the country that you were born in, everything about you, God has a plan for your life. You can accomplish things that I can never accomplish. There's people who you will influence that I will never influence. And it's, in, it's imperative that you find out what God's will is. That's submitting yourselves unto God. What does God agree? What is God's plan for you? What is the grace of God? What is the grace of God plan for your life? Submit yourself unto it. Yield to God. You yield to God. You don't resist God. You resist, you resist the devil. You yield yourself to God. And then the rest of this verse says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, this shows grace and faith. Grace is you just yield, you rest in what God has done. You don't resist him. You learn to just say, God, I'm, I'm with you, whatever you want. Man, that's huge. But you could do that. And if you don't get the other half of this verse, you're still going to crash and burn. 
Because God has a plan for your life and you could be seeking it and desire it. But then if God shows you something and if you're afraid to take a step of faith and you aren't going to do anything, you're waiting on God to make it happen. You just don't have any confidence that you can do it. You'll never see God's will come to pass. There is a grace where you submit yourself unto God, but then there's a faith part where you resist the devil. You get up and resist your fears resist your thoughts that I can't do this. Like God called me to stand in front of people. This would have killed me back 44 years ago. I couldn't have done it. This, I nearly died uh, trying to minister in a Bible study with 30 and 40 people there. It just was tearing me up until finally God got me over it. I couldn't have done this. But you know what? I had to resist my own desires. I had to do what God called me to do. And I had to overcome some things. And I have resisted the devil. And now I can minister to millions and millions and millions of people on television every day and do what God called me to do. But there were some things I had to do. It was with his power, but I had to do it. I had to resist. If you are going to follow God, it's, there's going to be resistance you're going against the world system. The world system is telling you to get all you can and just sit on it and do nothing and indulge yourself. God is saying, deny yourself, put him first, seek God. You're going to come into resistance. You're going to have people criticize you. I got up on Thursday night and made a statement about homosexuality because president Obama made a statement about homosexuality. So I wasn't mean. I just responded you know what? There's people that don't like that. There's people that hate me. I've got blogs written that I'm the most dangerous man in America. I've read a few of them and they're terrible. And they say terrible things about me. I got people that hate me by the thousands. But you know what? There's a lot of people that love me too. And you just have to focus on the ones who respond and ignore the ones who hate you. But you know what? It's not my nature. Nobody likes to be hated. When people criticize you and persecute you, all of us want to pull into our shell like a turtle. And I would just as soon not stick my neck out and get it chopped off or spit on or something happened. But you know what? I've learned that I submit myself to God. God has told me to do some things. And because of that, I have to resist my own desires. I have to stand against things. You're going to experience resistance. An old dead fish can float downstream. But if you turn around and swim upstream, there's going to have to be some effort. And I can guarantee you, if you submit yourself to God, he's going to lead you to do something that takes effort on your part. There's going to be some resistance. You're going to have to take steps that in the natural, you don't want to take. You don't want to put yourself at risk. You don't want to do this. But God will reveal his will to you. He'll show you who you are in Christ, that you have authority. And then you're going to have to stand up and you're going to have to command the mountain to move. God's not going to command the mountain to move for you. And you know, again, when I start talking on this, people tend to be in one of these two camps. They either want to talk about, oh yes, God's got a plan. And I just believe that it's all working out. And regardless of what I do, everything is working together for good. And I could go out here and lie and steal and God will work it together for good. Everything will work out. 
There's people that have done that. I think I mentioned about the two ladies that were taken and raped and want the daughter killed. Didn't I mention that on Thursday night? And this woman was saying that God did this to her. God, God works all things together for good. That's a lie. God did not do that. God does not control everything like a pawn. It didn't say God causes everything, but God can take anything the devil does and work it together for good. But God does not bring everything into your life. If he did, there would be no point in him saying, submit to God and resist the devil. Because after all, if God controlled everything, then everything would be of God. Even what the devil did. That's not true. But see, there's people that just get in. I'm I'm submitting to God. I'm waiting on God. You aren't waiting on God. God's not the one that's stuck. You aren't waiting on him to move. God's waiting on you. He's wanting to reveal himself to you. But then there's another side to this coin. There's a flip side to this coin. And you've got to get up and resist the devil. You got to get angry. You got to get mad. You know, God gave you a temper. Some of you think, oh no, God didn't give me my temper. Yeah, he did. Now the way you use it is probably not God. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers in in, uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. And so it's not people that we're fighting and many of us get mad at people. But did you know every person on this planet has the capacity for getting angry? You know why? Because God created you with that capacity. Matter of fact, we're commanded in Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. It says, be angry and sin not. You know what that's saying? That's saying that there is a godly type of anger. It's been interpreted when it says, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. People have taught this so much that they say, well, God knows you're human. He knows you're going to get mad. And so he allows you to get mad, but just make sure you confess it before the sun goes down. (laughs) That's not what this verse says. This isn't saying that it's okay to be angry during the day, but you can't be angry during the dark. That's not what this verse says. That is so weird, the way that we interpret things. This is saying, be angry and sin not. In other words, there is a godly use of anger and don't let the sun set on it. In other words, never let it go to bed. Keep yourself stirred up. What is the right use of anger? It says in Romans chapter 12, verse nine, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. In Proverbs chapter eight, I forget the verse, but it says the beginning of wisdom is to hate evil. God gave you the capacity of hate. Every person has a capacity to hate. The sad thing is we use it against people. And if people don't hate evil, which is what God told us to do, abhor that which is evil, Well, then they wind up hating fat in foods. They wind up hating people that aren't tree huggers. They wind up, they they love the little animals and they put these pictures on, there's an animal suffering. And yet the same people that put those commercials on would kill a baby in their mother's womb, but they wouldn't let a dog die. If you hate, if you don't hate evil, you're going to wind up hating something and you're going to hate fatty foods and you're going to want to punish everybody who eats fatty foods. And you're going to, you're going to want to punish everybody that builds a dam and destroys the snail darter. And you're going to be totally out of whack 
if you don't hate godly things. God gave everybody the capacity to hate and we're meant to hate evil. You need to hate the devil. You need to hate sickness. And yet we've been taught to pity sickness. We've been taught to use sickness to gain pity and manipulate and get things. There's a lot of you in here that, you know what, you don't hate the things that are coming against you. I talked to two or three people tonight who just told me thing after thing after thing after thing that was wrong with them. And they just talk like, you know, isn't this pitiful? Isn't this terrible what's happened to me? And my response is, why did you let this happen? They just look at me like, what are you saying? And I said, what did you do when your back started hurting? What did you do when you first realized that you had symptoms of sugar diabetes? What did you do when your eyesight first started getting bad? What did you do when you had this pain? You just accept it like there's nothing you can do. I said, shame on you, man. You should resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know, arthritis is a weak demon. Arthritis is demonic. It's not natural. It's demonic. And you know, it's a weak demon, but you know why it's so hard to get out? Because you get it in your little finger first and it's not a big deal. And so you accept it into that joint and it gets a foothold. Then you accept it into your next joint and then into your next finger and then into your wrist and then into your arm. And you, by the time arthritis gets to where it's really bothering you and you want to be free from it, you've spent years embracing it and putting up with it. And that's how Satan was able to have inroad. If you would fight arthritis the first time it hits a joint in your finger and say, no, you fight it like cancer and say, I will not have this. I resist you. I'm not doing this. You know what? Arthritis would never get started in your body. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. I think you're weird for not resisting the devil. You've embraced it. You call it my arthritis, my sickness, my hurt, my pain. It's not mine. It's the devil's. I'm not buying it. And I know many of you just think, boy, you're, you're strange. You know what? I've been walking in supernatural health. I'm not perfect. I've had some things happen, but I have basically been walking in supernatural health for 44 years. I don't get sick. I don't believe in getting sick. I've had all kinds of things happen to me. I fell through a roof just a week ago and could have broken my back and done all kinds of things. And I got up and I'm healed. Amen. Amen. I've had boulders roll over me and crush me and I get up and run a quarter of a mile in the name of Jesus. I'm healed and praise God I'm healed. I broke my ankle one time, eight miles out into the forest in the winter with snow on the ground. And I ran eight miles home because I was not going to let that happen. And I, my foot swelled up, but by the next morning it was okay. And I'm over it. I've hurt my back. I've had things. I should have had back problems. And I started doing deep knee bends and push-ups and bending over and fought the thing for nearly 24 hours and God healed. And I've got a strong back today. I had to wear glasses when I was a teenager and I decided I'm not going to do this. And I spoke against it and I don't need glasses and I could read small print. You do not have to put up with stuff. 
But as long as you can or will put up with it, you will. You got to get to a place to where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not going to live this way. God gave you the capacity for anger. Don't use it at people. Use it at sickness. Get mad that you can't sit there and eat certain foods. Get mad that things are the way they are. I'm not going to live this way. This is, I, this is not the way God made me to be. Amen. Some people think, well, if I did that, what would happen if it didn't work? <laughs> You'd be the same as you are now. You got nothing to lose, but your sickness and disease, you might as well just get up and fight. There's a lot of people that would rather just sit there and, and take it easy and watch as the stomach turns on the television rather than get up and take the risk of fighting the devil. And I might lose. You're afraid of what it would do to your fragile ego to try and believe God. And it didn't work. Man, you're already a failure if you are afraid to engage, if you're afraid to get up and fight. God gave you the capacity for anger. You need to stir yourself up. Get mad and don't let the sun go down on your ass. Don't ever let it go to bed. Don't ever let it go to sleep. Keep yourself stirred up. If you don't stir yourself up, you're going to settle to the bottom. God, by grace, has already provided everything, healing, prosperity, deliverance, joy, and peace. He provided a perfect life for every one of you. If you don't wake up in the morning just excited about God, this is awesome. You're awesome. Thank you for the privilege of of knowing what your will for me is. If you don't wake up excited about what's going on in your life, you're missing what God has for you. I guarantee you, God's got something for you that ought to make you excited about living. Feel like your life is counting. You're making a difference. You're touching people. And if you aren't living that way, you're missing God's will for your life. You're shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. And you're praying for God to give you joy and peace. But one of the reasons you don't have joy and peace is because you aren't doing what God called you to do. There is a satisfaction when you know you are exactly where God called you to be doing what God called you to do. There is a satisfaction that goes with that, that you could never get winning this award in your company, living in a million dollar home, driving a Mercedes. That is something that nothing else compares with. You know, I was in Charlotte with these people at Freedom Christian Center. And anyway, my, I've got a guy that brings me into his business to speak and tells the employees that the uh, clock is running. I'm paying you. Just listen to this guy talk as long as he wants to. And I get in and talk to his employees. And one time after I did that, I came out and there was a woman, an Asian woman who uh, I hadn't seen before. And she wasn't in there when I was talking to the other employees. And so I went up and introduced myself and said, what's your name? She told me, And I said, how come you weren't in there with the other employees? And she says, oh, I'm the new kid on the block and they needed somebody to answer the phone. So I've been out here answering the phones. So I got to talking to her and she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. And she says, for who? (laughs) And I said, well, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she says, you must be the one. And I said, the one what? (laughs) And she said she was a Buddhist. 
And she had been doing her whatever Buddhists do the night before all of her worship type stuff. And she was going through the rituals and she said it was just not fulfilling. She knew that this wasn't right. And she just stopped in the middle of it. And she says, God, I know that you exist, but I don't think this is it. She says, who are you? Who is the real God? And she said, this ball of light came in front of her and just pulsated. And she had, the Lord spoke to her in an audible voice and said, I'll send you a man tomorrow who will tell you who I am. And she said, you must be the one. And I said, I am the one. Amen. (laughs) And I got to lead that woman to Jesus, got her born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I rejoiced in her salvation, but you know what? When I got out into the car, it was like, Jesus, I was in the right place at the right time. I know I was supposed to be here today. And I guarantee you that feeling beats any other feeling in the world. Just knowing that God knows you by name and that God is controlling your life and you're doing what God told you to do. And there are some of you that have never had that feeling. I tell you what, you're missing out on what life is all about. You may have more money than I got. You may have a bigger house, a nicer car. You may look better than I do, but you're missing out. That's what life is all about. And God's got a plan for you. You need to submit to that, but then you need to get to where I am not living a mediocre life. I am not going to live and die and be gone and nobody miss me. If you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. You need to get out of the way and let somebody else come through who they're making their life count. Man, make it so that when you're, you know, people are at your funeral, somebody will miss you. Amen. I know some of you don't like what I'm saying, but I'm trying to get you riled up. You need to get angry at being mediocre. Some of you are shooting for security and you want security. And that's not what life is all about. We've had people before that God spoke to them and come, come into our Bible college, but they're five years or 10 years away from retirement. And they think, man, I just need to stay the course and wait five years or 10 years. And then when I retire, I'll have more money at retirement and that would be better. And I've told them, I said, well, I understand. I agree a hundred percent, you know, sorry, God didn't know that. We should have told him that (laughs) he's five years too early and not to speak to you and I agree with you hundred percent. God doesn't know what he's talking about. You just follow your own wisdom and you do your own thing. And I'm sure that'll be better than God's leading on your life. <laughs> if God spoke to you to do something now, do what God told you. And if, if it hair lips the devil, let it hair lip the devil. Who cares what happens as a result? You just follow God. I never did get to where I'm going, but that's really good stuff. (laughs) Look over here in first Kings chapter 17. And let me share this passage of scripture with you. This is about Elijah. 
And Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17 had a word from the Lord. And he marched up to Ahab, the king. And here's what he said in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who is of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. He didn't come up with that on his own. God, by grace, had a plan for his life. Elijah sought God until he found out God's plan for his life, grace, and then he yielded to it. But he didn't just stay in his prayer closet and say, oh God, thank you for showing me this. Thank you for giving me a word. He didn't just submit himself to God, but then he got up and resisted the devil. This king Ahab had been killing. He and his wife Jezebel had been killing all of the prophets of God. They put them to death. And for Elijah to do this, he was putting his life at risk. But he resisted his fears. He resisted the devil. He went in and took authority and commanded the king and told the king what he was going to do. There's a perfect balance here, see, between grace. God had a plan. But if he would have just stayed in his prayer closet and said, oh God, thank you for speaking it to me. And if he hadn't have acted on that word, and then let's say that the drought would have happened. I doubt it would have happened if a person hadn't have obeyed and submitted themselves to God. But if the drought would have happened and the nation would have been brought to their knees, and then he would have stepped up and said, God told me this three and a half years ago. This was uh, because I prayed. Nobody would have believed him. Anybody could stand up and say after the fact, oh, I prayed for this. But when the, when the rains were coming and the grass, grass was good and everything was good, he stood up and prophesied there would be a drought until he said so. And when the drought finally came, Elijah was in control. He told the king what to do. He was giving the orders because he was bold enough to step out on the word that God had given him. See, there's a balance between grace. God gave him something, did it. He didn't deserve it, but God just showed this to him. But he got up and acted on what God said. Every person in here has words from God. God has shown every person in here certain things. Some of you think, well, no, I don't know. I don't know what God wants me to do. If you're born again, you've got a word from God. You've understood salvation. The Bible says you're born again by the incorruptible seed, the word of God. You have understood the truths of God's word in a way that has caused you to be born again and come into relationship with God. And the vast majority of Americans don't have that word. If you would speak that word and speak the truth and tell people the truth, there would be potential for rejection. You're going to have to resist and overcome your fears and what people say. In America, it's not that much to overcome. They just roll their eyes and then they talk about you about the water cooler. That's not that bad. Pull your thumb out of your mouth and just suck it up and get to where, man, you can take somebody criticizing you. Boy, insecurity. It's not that bad here, but you know what? You will get some criticism, but if you were to speak out, there would be people that reject you, but you know what? God would use the truth that you speak, touch people's lives. You could be leading people to the Lord. You could be changing a person's life. And I guarantee you, if you would just stand up at your work, in your family, in your church, 
And if you would stand up and speak the truth, man, God would perform miracles and your life would take on meaning and you would see things happen. But you know what? We've got truth and we're hiding. We're afraid that somebody's going to criticize us. You'll never see it happen. Elijah wouldn't have seen all of the things that happened in his life if he hadn't have submitted himself to what God said and then gone out and resisted his fears, resisted the devil, resisted this ungodly king and queen and done what God told him to do. And did you know when he did that, it says in verse two, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Did you know when he delivered the first word, he didn't know what the second word was. God didn't tell him, all right, after you deliver this word to this king who's trying to kill all of the prophets, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to send you to this brook and I'll supernaturally supply your need. God didn't give him that until he had acted on the first word. God just told him to go talk to the king and prophesy that there's a drought, a king that kills prophets. And he didn't tell him, I'm going to protect you. I mean, it was kind of in here because he said there won't be rain until I say so. And if he died, he never would have said so. So he figured (laughs) that he probably had to live. You could have read this into it, but there wasn't any guarantees. Did you know there's a lot of people that say, all right, God, I believe you're leading me to do something. This is what your word to me is. So if I do this, how's it going to work out? How are you going to do this? Lord, if you really want me to go to Bible college and if you want me to do this, then God, how is this going to work? Is there our job out there? I've got to have a job guarantee. I've got to have my house sold. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. You give me step number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You show me how everything works out. And if you'll work it out, then I'll obey you. That's not what Elijah did. Elijah just acted on the first word without any guarantee that there was going to come a second word. He might have had faith and trust that there was coming a second word, but he didn't have it yet. God didn't give him step number two until he took step number one. And you know, part of this is because God loves you. And every time God tells you to do something and you don't do it, you become accountable. Why would God give you 10 things to do and make you accountable for missing it 10 times? Instead, he just tells you one step at a time. And if you don't do that, you're only guilty for disobeying once. He won't give you all of these steps until you step out. There's people that are just so insecure. They, they, security is what drives most people. And as a result, you are securely bland. Man, you, you know what? You need to live a risky life. It's fun to be out on a limb blowing in the wind. Amen. (laughs) Waving around. Most people want to be a trunk hugger. Truck? How do you say that? Trunk hugger. They want to hug the trunk because it's more secure there, but fruit grows out on a limb. If you're going to get, have fruit in your life, you got to get out on a limb. You got to take some risk. You got to believe God. Do something. Elijah just spoke and stepped out and did what God told him to do. And then the Lord told him, all right, now here's step number two, go to the brook Cherith and look at this. This is just amazing. In verse three, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. 
And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Boy, this scripture just rang my bell. This is one of the most awesome things. God says, I have commanded. The word have means it's already been done. He says, I, he didn't say I'm going to command. No, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. You know, we don't know how long the brook Cheerus was, but I've seen it on a map. It's miles long. And how did Elijah know exactly where to go? Let's say the thing's 10 miles long. He could have been camped at the north end of this brook and the ravens could have been bringing the food to the south end. How did he know he was in the right spot? Because God said, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Ravens could fly faster than he could walk. And so you know how he knew he got in the right place? Because when he got there, the ravens were already there. The food was already there. It wasn't, it was obvious that he was in the right place because God said, I have commanded them. So he had already spoken. The provision was already flying, but notice it wasn't sent to where he was. It was sent there. Amen. He sent the provision there to where he told him to go. It's like in football, you don't throw the football at the receiver. You throw the football where the receiver is going. You lead them, you throw it in front of them. And God doesn't send your provision to you. He sends your provision to where he told you to go. He sends your provision to what he told you to do. We have people all the time who want to come to Bible school and they say, but God, I don't have the money. What do I do? And they say, give me the money and I'll go. He doesn't send the money to you. He sends the money to where he told you to go. There's a blessing. If he told you to come here to Atlanta, he will make provision. There will be provision for it. If he told you to come to Colorado Springs, he sends your provision to what, where he told you to go. And you're sitting there refusing to obey because God, I just don't have the provision. The provision isn't with you. It's where he told you to go. He says, I will feed you there. The problem is you aren't all there. (laughs) The problem is you're too much here. What did God tell you to do? What's in your heart? If you weren't afraid of missing your pension, getting criticism from your family and friends, missing the security of your job and all of these things. If, if we didn't have all of these other restraints, if you had all of these things gone, if money wasn't a problem, if you weren't intimidated over your lack of skills and whatever, what's in your heart? What would you do if you could just do anything and you didn't have to worry about paying for it, doing anything? What's in your heart? That's probably God. And yet there are many of you that work a job that you hate. You don't like it. It's hard on your health and you do it because after all, you've got to be secure. God's put something else in your heart and you won't do it. You say, well, I'd like to do it. If God will just give me a hundred thousand dollars. No, it's there. You start, you take the first step. You do what God told you to do. And as you go, that's where God's provision is. He sends the provision to where he wants you to go. And see, this is the balance between grace and faith. 
God will show you something. He will put desires in your heart. He will have you dream of something bigger. He will have you dream of laying hands on people and seeing them healed, touching people's lives, making a difference. He will give you these dreams, but most people just sit around and say, oh God, please make it happen. And they, they don't understand. But if I step out, what if I say something at work, how are they going to respond? It's not up to you to how they respond. You just do what God told you to do. You stand up and say what God told you to say. And after you do what God told you to do, he'll tell you what the next step is. He'll send your provision there. He will supernaturally help you. But see, it's not just up to God. You can't just sit there and wait on God to sovereignly move you and make your life work. God has a plan for every life. He chose it for you independent of your performance. There is a plan by grace, but you have to respond to God's grace. You have to be bold enough to stand up and act and start speaking what God says and take acts of faith and do things that are potentially damaging before you will see what God has already provided by grace come to pass. And it's not your great works that are making it happen. It's God's grace, but it is flowing through you. It's by grace through faith. You know what's happening in my life? I'm not a perfect example of these things, but I have seen God do some awesome things in my life. And I'm seeing the Lord build this campus in Woodland Park and do things. And we have millions and millions and millions of dollars flowing through our hands. Jamie, my uh, income, the first 12 months we were married was $1,253. And the second year it jumped up to $2,500. We were so poor, we couldn't pay attention. We struggled for years and yet God revealed himself and Jamie and I haven't done it perfectly, but we've been seeking God and trying to yield to God. And you know what? Because God's had a good plan for me from the beginning, but I messed it up for a long time and hindered it. And finally, the Lord told me I was limiting him by my small thinking and I made some adjustments and begin to start speak for some things and do some things. And you know what we are seeing? It's just like a dam broke and supernatural supply, not only money, but I mean, people coming and people's lives being changed. God has given me influence all over the world. I have people in the farthest reaches of the world that I'm touching their lives. People's lives are being changed. Things are happening because God had a plan for my life. But if I hadn't have obeyed and begin to start cooperating, I wouldn't have seen these things come to pass. Likewise, God has a plan for every single person in here. And I guarantee you, God never planned for a single one of you to be mediocre. Not everybody's going to do what I'm going to do, but God has a plan for you that I guarantee you will just bless your socks off. That'll make you glad to get up in the morning. That'll make you feel like your life is making a difference. Like you aren't just a taker, but you're a giver. God has this plan by grace, but many of us just limit what God can do. We're afraid to step out. There's a balance between this. God has a plan, but it is not going to come to pass until you find out what it is, submit to it, and then start taking some acts of faith, stepping out and doing some things. And it's not your doing that causes it. 
You know, you could sit here and try and imitate what I've done and you could try and do the exact same things I've done. But if God called you to do something else, you won't succeed because that wasn't God's grace for you. That wasn't what he provided. You aren't submitted to God. You're doing your own thing. And I guarantee you, people could do exactly what I'm doing and it wouldn't prosper. I could do exactly what I'm doing right now. And if it wasn't God's will for me, it wouldn't prosper. There isn't an explanation why things work, really. There's some things that I do, but it's because God has just blessed me and I'm yielding to him and God's blessing me. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. God has a plan for your life. It's an awesome plan. It's better than your plan. I can guarantee you that. And God wants to bless you and he wants to make your life fruitful. He wants you to feel like you are in the right place at the right time doing exactly what God's called you to do. But it's going to take some effort on your part. You're going to have to step out. You're going to have to submit yourself to God and then resist the devil. Resist your flesh. Resist your fears. Resist the criticism. Resist the feelings that I could fail. You're going to have to resist a lot of things and you're going to have to step out and start fighting. There is a balance between this. There's a lot that you need to do, but it needs to be done in response to what God has said, not trying to get a response from God. Huge difference. And you can find this principle in everything. I just shared it with you out of James, passages of scripture that most people wouldn't have thought of that. Shared it with you out of 1 Kings chapter 17. Most people don't see that as grace and faith, but God had a plan. He had already done it. It was totally by grace, but Elijah had to respond and had to step out and do that. This goes through everything in scripture. God does not do anything without a person. And even though you can do things without God, nothing is going to work until you first of all get God's mind and then respond to what God has told you to do. It's a combination of God planning and revealing his will to you, speaking to you, and then you have a part to play. And you've got to marry these two things together and you've got to figure out what is God's part, make sure you've heard from God and then do your part. And when you do that, when you put grace and faith together, it's like uh, splitting an atom. It just releases this power. I mean, awesome things take place. Explosions take place. Things supernatural happen. But man, that is so important what I've been sharing this weekend. And I know that there's people sitting right here that the reason you're here is because you know that there's something more. I mean, this is Saturday night. This is what the world does. They go out and party on this night or stay home and try and rest up so they can go to the grindstone next week. You aren't that group. You're here because you know that there's something more you're seeking. You want God's best. And what I've been sharing with you, I believe is a word from God. And I believe that God has a plan for every single person in here, but many of us are just waiting on God to make it happen. I'm telling you, you need to seek God to the point that you hear from God, find out what God's will is, and then start stepping out. Take your authority. Start rebuking the devil 
stepping out, taking steps of faith. And if you would do that, it'd change your life. And you know, some of you'll think this is nothing but a commercial, but I'm not meaning it that way. But I'm just telling you that for many people, Bible college is just one of the first steps. You know that God's got something more, but you don't know the word well enough to be able to do it. You don't know what to do. You don't understand the principles of how do you hear the voice of God? How do you do this? Bible college is a first step. You go and spend four hours a day, five days a week for two years sitting under the word and you will hear the voice of God. You will have God give you leadership. You will hear something. And then you still got to go out and act and resist and do all of the things we're talking about. But I guarantee you, you will figure out God's will for your life sitting under the word for two years. It'll transform you. And he may not have you go into ministry. He may have you be a husband or a wife or whatever, but you, I guarantee you, you'll be an awesome husband or wife. Once you get hold of the word of God and know that that's what God called you to do. We need people in the business world. We don't need everybody in the ministry. We need people in businesses that are out there. We need people that are shining shoes and cutting hair and picking up garbage. Those things are necessary. And we need people in those areas to preach to other people and do things. Not everybody's called to be a minister, but everybody is called to be a living sacrifice, completely committed to God. And you need to find out what that purpose for your life is and then get about doing it and do it with all of your heart. Do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Amen. 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 You know, I'm going to give an invitation for salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But before I do that, let me just say that if there's anybody in here who would just be honest enough to say, man, this has stirred me up. I don't know God's will for my life. I'm just doing, you know, kind of the way the pinball is. I, I just got shot in this direction and it seems like it's what happened. I don't, I didn't choose this. It just happened. I want to, you may be doing the right thing, but you don't know that you're doing the right thing. If you're one of those that says, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to see his word for me, hear his word. And then I'm going to start obeying it. And if you would just be honest enough to say, I want you to pray for me that I would hear God's voice, find out what his purpose for my life is. And then I'm going to start heading in that direction because it's, he's going to send my need there where he told me to be. If you're willing to say, I don't know that for sure, but I want to find it out. And if that's you, I want you to stand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're just going to pray. And we're going to believe God to reveal himself unto you. Now, if you've already had God reveal himself unto you, you're still in the process. That doesn't mean that everything's working, but you've already got direction. I'm not asking you to stand. You just need to operate in faith and keep doing what God told you to do. You've taken step one or step two, step three and four and five will come when the time's right. But I'm talking to people that haven't even taken step one. You aren't sure what God wants you to do. And I want you to stand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And we're just going to make ourselves available for God to speak to us and give us direction. Anybody else? There's some people sitting down. There's some people standing up. If you've already got direction, just keep following it and the rest will come. But if you don't know for sure, you need to just humble yourself. And by standing, you're saying, God... I'm tired of living my life without knowing for sure that I'm doing what you called me to do. I want to know your will for my life. 
Anybody else? You know, at the beginning of my sermon, I predicted probably 80% of the people were like this. And I don't know, this may only be 70%, but I was close. You know, the vast majority of people just don't know. And there's no way you're going to fulfill God's will accidentally. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to, you have to see it and then pursue it and go for it. You don't just automatically see it come to pass. So I believe that something special is going to start right here today in your life. I believe God is going to stir you up. You may not get a full direction here today. Some of you might have God speak to you during this prayer. But if nothing else, you've now made a commitment and God is going to start revealing himself to you and you're going to have a holy dissatisfaction with normal. And you're going to start looking for something that is specific. And I believe God will reveal himself to you. Father, I pray for all of these people right now who are standing and we thank you that we were created in your image, that you have a purpose for our life. And Father, thank you for these people who are willing to humble themselves and say that they're tired of just going through life like a pinball. We want direction. We want to know what your will is so that we can move in a direction and begin to take control and respond to your grace. We believe that you have a purpose for every one of us. And so, Father, tonight we just humble ourselves. We turn from our self-made men and women attitudes to where we are doing it all on our own and we are making things come to pass and we are running up a flag and just saying that we need your grace. We want to know what you've planned for us. We want to live our life so that we don't ever have to ask you to bless our things. That we just find out what your will for us is and we do it. Father, we are making this desire. I'm leading them in prayer, but we are reaching out to you and saying, Father, please reveal yourself to us. Reveal your purposes to us. And we believe that you want to show this to us more than we want to know it. So we just stand here tonight asking you to prepare our heart to get rid of the love of this world and other things that choke the word of God. And help us to hear that still small voice, to find out what your will for our life is. Father, we desire this and we make ourselves available. And we believe that starting right now, that the Holy Spirit is working and dealing with us and that you will continue to deal with us until we can see, until we can perceive and figure out what your will is. For those that already have a strong desire in their heart and yet they've been going in a different direction because of fear of circumstance, seeking for security. I pray that you just, Father, that voice, this desire becomes so strong on the inside of them that they can't stand it, that they won't stay where they are, but they will take a step and they will begin to move and do what you've called them to do. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we make ourselves available and I just trust you that you are a good God and that you are going to give us more grace and that you are going to be gracious to us, even people that have wasted years, decades, that you are still graciously going to reveal yourself to us, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. 
regardless of how far off track we are, we believe that you are at least as good as a GPS. You can recalculate and get us back on track. And Father, we believe and we receive that. And we thank you in advance that this is going to happen. We praise you that, Father, from this time forth, you're working in our life and we're going to start receiving revelation and direction. And Father, we make a commitment that we're going to step out. We won't have to see the entire plan. You just show us one or two steps and we're going to start moving in that direction. And Father, I thank you. Thank you for the change that this will make in individuals. Thank you for the change this will make in our society and in the body of Christ as we begin to occupy the place that you called us to be. Thank you, Jesus. We just agree and thank you in advance for the awesome things that are going to happen in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. You can be seated. I tell you what, this is going to change your life. If the Lord tarries, you'll look back at this day. What day is this? The 12th of May? If the Lord tarries, you'll look back at this a decade or two decades and you'll say, you know what? Something happened right there. God sowed a seed and started changing my life. And your life is going to be so different. You'll be shocked. If the Lord was to show you everything he had for you right now, did you know many of you would rebuke it? You'd think, oh no, that's not for me. I couldn't do that. That's the reason he doesn't show you everything all at once. Or you would become so discontent that you couldn't wait to reach the final thing. And there's a growth process. And so God will not show you the whole thing all at once. He'll just show it to you step by step by step. And you know what? You need to be faithful to take whatever step it is that God shows you and just do it. And I promise you, you'll never regret it. I really believe that there's going to be many of you, hundreds of you are going to come to me in heaven and say, do you remember that night? Changed my life. And because of that, man, you were fulfilled and happy and blessed. Other people were touched. This could make the difference in tens of thousands of people's lives as people here start doing what God called you to do. Isn't that awesome? And I can guarantee you something that is for every person. And that is, it is God's will for every person to be born again. You need to make a personal commitment of your life to Jesus and receive salvation. You can't save yourself. You need a savior. You need to put your faith in Jesus and let Jesus save you. He's already forgiven your sins. All you have to do is humble yourself. Quit trying to save yourself by your good works and just receive it as a gift. If you haven't done that, you need to do that tonight. And then once you get born again, you can't live the Christian life under your own steam and power. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent to give you power. The Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues is such a powerful gift because when you speak in tongues, it makes no sense to your brain. Your brain will resist speaking in tongues every single time. And for you to start speaking in tongues and do it more than just, you know, one phrase and to speak in tongues for an hour or two hours at a time, it makes you get into the realm of faith and start standing on what the word says and denying your own intellect and your own wisdom. And it puts you into a realm of faith like nothing else that I know. 
Speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a powerful gift and every person in here needs that. We've seen, I don't know how many, 170 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the four services. And isn't that awesome? But if there's anybody here tonight who hasn't received that and you say, well, I think I've got it, but I don't speak in tongues. Well, you need to receive the speaking in tongues. That's part of it. I received the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues, but I tell you, when I spoke in tongues, it's like I got the baptism all over again. You need to speak in tongues. So if you haven't received that, you need to receive it. Is there anybody here who would raise your hand and say, I need one or both of those. I need to speak in tongues or I need to make Jesus my Lord and be born again. Anybody, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's some people here. Praise God. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Man, that's four or five people. Here's another, another one. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want to help you to receive right here tonight and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just get out of your seat right now and come forward and we want to help you. Praise the Lord. This is awesome. I believe you're going to get stronger and horseradish, brother. Amen. (laughs) Hey, God bless you. Thank you all for coming. Man, this will help you a lot. Lord, minister to this lady really powerful this, this afternoon. Praise God. Anybody else here want to come? You know, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you ought to be up here. Somebody says, well, I don't speak in tongues, but I've tried it before. Nothing happened. What if I go up there and nothing happens? I can tell you this. If you don't come up here, nothing's going to happen. This is what I was talking about tonight. You need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and say, I'm not going to live this way. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to do something. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be up here. The worst thing that could happen is that you get a free book out of it. We're going to give every one of you a book that will explain this. Amen. So if you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be up here. Praise the Lord. Isn't this awesome? So if we've already had 170 something come, this is just right at 200 people in five services. Isn't that great? They only had 120 people on the day of Pentecost that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that started the church and started like a wildfire. Man, this could, this could change all of Atlanta. Isn't this great? Praise the Lord. All right, before I can pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to be born again. Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody who would say, I'm not sure whether I've ever made Jesus my Lord. I need to pray about that first. Anybody? Here's one down here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Are all the rest of you absolutely sure you're born again? If you were to die right this moment, do you know exactly where you'd go or are you just hoping? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. There's so many people that think, well, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? The 
The Bible says, even the devils believe and tremble at the name of God. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. It takes more than just a passive understanding that God exists. You got to commit your life to him. The Bible says you have to make him your Lord. Is there anybody here who's not absolutely certain that you've made Jesus your Lord and you want to do that first? Anyone? Here's another one. So I'm going to pray with these two down here, okay? And I'm going to pray a prayer similar to what you should pray. It says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus has already died for your sins. He's already forgiven you of everything you ever have or ever will do. It's already done. It's just a matter of will you accept it? And the way you accept it is to say, I make you my Lord. I turn my life over. It doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. It doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly, but you're saying, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take control. When you fail, he'll give you mercy, but you have to be willing to turn your life over to him. You ready to do that? Well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I want you to repeat this after me. And I'd like to ask everybody in here to repeat this prayer so that they don't feel like we're just listening to them. Say this, say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Welcome to the family. That's wonderful. You guys have just been changed on the inside. You're the same on the outside. But you know what? Your inside is totally different. And according to the Bible, every person who's prayed a prayer like that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that God created you to be a place that the Holy Spirit lives in. You were created for this purpose. So the Lord isn't hesitant to do this. This is what he made you for. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants it more than you want it. So we don't have to beg God. You don't have to plead. Some people teach that you got to wail and travail like God's deaf and call out. God has been waiting for this day forever. And he wants to fill you with his power. So you, you don't have to beg. Also, some people teach that you got to be holy. You got to get all sin out of your life and you got to be holy that the Holy Spirit won't fill anything but a, but a holy vessel. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The reason that God wants to give you the Holy Spirit is to give you power. So don't let some sense of unworthiness, if you've got a sin or a problem in your life, don't let that stop you. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit to give you power so that you can start living a holy life. So don't let some sense of unworthiness stop you. Don't, you don't have to beg God. We're just going to ask real simple. In a sense, what we're going to do is open up the doors of your temple and say, Holy Spirit, come dwell in me. Come take control of me. Amen. It's that simple. And then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up here and they're going to stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you. Because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And so 
These are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're going to come up here and they're going to lay hands on you and they're going to release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Then they're going to lay hands on you and release the Holy Spirit into your life. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking for the Holy Spirit. There's a time to ask, but then there's a time to believe that he did what he said. He said in Luke 11:13, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a gift. So we're going to ask, but then we're going to quit asking and we're going to start thanking him that his word is true and that he gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. Just take a step of faith and start thanking him that his word is true. And at that time, after they lay hands on you and we start thanking the Lord, I'm going to ask them to start praying in tongues and they're going to start speaking in tongues because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. Well, so we're going to start praising God and thanking him in a language that isn't contaminated by your own thoughts. It comes not out of your head, but it comes out of your heart. And we're going to start speaking in tongues. And when we start speaking in tongues, I want you to switch over and start speaking in tongues with us. It's really that simple. The only thing, some people get stuck on the fact that they just want this to be pure Holy Spirit. It's not pure Holy Spirit. It's you that speaks in tongues. Acts chapter two, verse four says, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you and you speak. And it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's like when I spoke tonight, I believe that God spoke through me. I believe that he led me in what I said, but he didn't take my mouth and make me talk. I had to open my mouth. I had to speak. That's the reason that it didn't come out perfectly. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my sense of humor. It was me talking, but it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the way it is when you speak. It's you talking, but the Holy Spirit's inspiring it. And when you get beyond yourself and quit listening and worrying about, is this really it? Am I, and you forget all of that and you just get to focus on God and praying out of your heart, you'll find out that it just flows out of you. It is you speaking, but it's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he'll confirm to you that this is God. I've got a book that will explain everything and it will really help you. But I promise you, this is going to be a life-changing experience. You have to understand it. And, and uh, it takes a little while sometimes for people to get the full impact of what happened. But this is really, really important. So that's what we're going to do. And I believe you're going to speak in tongues. you agree? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for the two who received salvation tonight. Thank you that we are changed, that in our spirit, we are a temple for the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of this temple. Holy Spirit, we want your power. We want you to come in and take control of our life, to give us revelation and leadership and power to live the Christian life. So right now, we welcome you into our lives in the name of Jesus. We lay hands on you now and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power into you. We loose this anointing of the Holy Spirit to come into you right now. And Holy Spirit, we believe that you are taking a permanent residence on the inside, that you are giving us power 
to live a Christian life and we thank you for it. Now, I want you to start thanking the Lord that he gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like, just thank him. Lift your hands, just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I yield, I surrender. When you lift your hands, the Bible says it blesses the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This pleases God. So right now, lift your hands and start thanking God. Thank you, Father, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you that I have the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for coming and dwelling in me and never leaving me or forsaking me. Thank you, Father. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues and thanks God for this. And as we pray in tongues, you pray in tongues with us. Just begin to speak right now. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know how to say syllables that doesn't mean anything to you, then try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. I can promise you, your tongue is going to be unique to you. It won't be the same as the other person. Yours will be separate. You can't say what they're saying, but once you start praying, don't quit. Just keep speaking. Once it comes out different, just keep speaking. Thank you, Jesus. Sister, shake your head. Yes, not no. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Jesus. We got it. Thank you, Father, for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for filling these. Thank you that we are praying out of our spirit and not out of our brain. Thank you that we're bypassing all of the doubt and the unbelief in our mind and we're praying from this born again, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you for power. Thank you for rest and refreshing coming right now in the mighty name of Jesus. That's it. Just be bold. Talk out. Talk now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Be bold. Talk out right now. This may not mean much to you, but that's the reason it's important is because it is not ministering to your brain. It's coming out of your spirit. You're communicating with God in a way that bypasses all of the confusion and the doubt that's in your brain. Thank you, Jesus. But all but just maybe one or two up here, I think, are speaking in tongues, it looks like to me. Man, this is you praying to your heavenly father in a heavenly language, in the language of angels. Praise God. The Bible says when you do this, you build yourself up on your most holy faith. You edify yourself. It promotes spiritual growth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for filling all of these with the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Let me interrupt you here for just a minute. Let me have your attention. Whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised he would. Amen. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't pray in tongues for three and a half years, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I'd been told that this was of the devil and I was just afraid of what would happen. So it hindered me, but you know what? I just kept after it. And now I pray in tongues with the best of them. 
And I wrote all of these things in a book. And I can promise you this too, that there's not a person here who fully understands what happened. You may have felt something. You may have been blessed, but I don't care what you felt. It's much greater than anything you've ever experienced. And you've got to understand from the word what has happened. And even if you didn't speak in tongues, this will teach you how to overcome all of the fears and the objections. I don't think anybody had more problems praying in tongues than I did. And so I've written a book that I want to give every one of you. And I promise you, it would really, really help you. It'll help those of you that prayed for salvation. It talks about what salvation is and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. So if you would, we've got Robert right here in the aisle. He's the one standing, waving his Bible. And he's going to take you to a room right adjacent to this room and give you that book. And they'll help you. And if anybody has a question, they'll answer your questions. If you need healing, they will pray with you for healing. But just follow Robert right here. It'll only take a few moments. And we want you to get the maximum benefit of receiving the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's praise God for these as they go. Isn't it great? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Boy, that's great. Man, that's like 200 people that have received the Holy Spirit. This is going to make a huge, huge difference in their lives. I've had a number of people come up to me this week and talk about that they received the Holy Spirit last year and just saying that it had totally transformed them. To me, this is the the second most life transformed. Actually, I actually changed more when I received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues than I did when I got born again. I believe being born again is absolutely essential and it's the first step. But as far as outward change, the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed me more than anything else. And so I'm excited about what God's going to do for all of these people. These are our prayer ministries. You know, I just want to thank God for all of these people who have been here early, stayed late. They came to a training session and these people have been here just pouring out their hearts. We always get compliments on our prayer ministers, how they walked in so much love and the things that they did. And thanks to them. They've enabled us to minister to hundreds and hundreds of people where I would have been able to only minister to dozens. So man, I'm excited about this. If you need prayer for anything, if your faith was quickened tonight, and maybe you do have some direction and you're just feeling some fears and you're saying, I need somebody to agree with me, to encourage me. I want to encourage you to come and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. And we want to see you Uh, get the maximum benefit from this meeting. So if you need prayer for physical healing or whatever it is, if you want prayer, just come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and agree with you. And we're going to believe God for a miracle. So come right now. We got people standing in the aisles. They're going to direct you towards the prayer ministers. And please cooperate with them. The rest of you... I'm going to let you go tonight instead of staying around and praying because my uh, crew needs to start tearing down all of the stuff. They normally go till two or three in the morning. That's the reason we started an hour early. And if we get out of here, maybe they can be through by 12 or one. Amen. But thank you very much for coming. Don't forget that we have CDs and DVDs of the entire meeting already made back there. 
and you can go get those and all of the other materials. Thanks for coming. God bless you. We believe you are never going to be the same. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for coming.